But again, let's turn to our Bibles. Let's preach. Not to preach. Read together what the Bible says. Beginning of verse 20. May, now may the God of peace who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, equip you with everything good to do his will, working in us what is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Brothers and sisters, I urge you to receive this message of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. Be aware that our brother Timothy has been released, and if he comes soon enough, he will be with me when I see you. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who are from Italy send you their greetings. Grace be with you all. Amen. Amen. Oh, I think it's weird that they don't sign at the, the end. They normally sign letters in the ancient world at the beginning. So they say, you know, they write, they write their signature. We, in our day, we write, sincerely yours, whoever, whoever, or appreciatively yours at the end. But in the ancient world, you did that at the beginning. Please don't lean on your mother. Um, so we're right at the end. And it's always hard to finish a book, especially when they just get down to the greetings. Today I want to be preaching from verse 22 to 25. The, what is that? The one, two, three, four, four verses. And uh, it's, it's always hard because it's just like the, the signing off. It's the, the last few things they cram in before they, they put their pen down. And oftentimes these things are skipped over. It's almost as if there's nothing of worth there for us to learn from. And I'm a great believer in believing that from beginning to end in every book there is worth there. There is gold there. There are diamonds for those who seek. And here in this we have those diamonds. Brothers and sisters or brethren, I urge you to receive this message of exhortation. And there is this urging and the Holy Spirit, through the writer to the church, down throughout the ages, that message is still relevant and real for you and I today. There is an urge. It's not just a case of, uh, take it or leave it. Whatever you want to do, or whatever you, you want to feel, feel it. But there is an urging. There is a strong press. Pressure is being put upon you. He is not saying, look, I hope you enjoyed this. It was just a, 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 an idea that came into my head. He wrote this with a purpose. And now he's urging you. He's pressing on you. I'm always try, I always try to be very careful that I don't put pressure on people. Maybe some of you would disagree with that. But there's, there is the, the, you must make up your own mind. You must walk in the way according to your conscience. But here in this, he is strongly urging them. There is a, an appeal to them for obedience. And there comes a time when we who are leaders must strongly urge you. Why did he have to urge them? Because they were winning. They were faltering. They were on the, 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 the border of compromise. Remember what was happening. We all know, I've preached it so many times. You should remember. There was persecution in the land. Not direct so much persecution. The people were maybe being murdered or, 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 or those kind of things. 
But there was persecution. There were the beginnings, the pressures, and the splits between the Jewish Christians and the Jewish nominal believers were being made apparent. And the Jewish Christians, for the sake of peace, were beginning to compromise. For, the, for the, the sake of just keeping some sort of unity among the body, they were closing their eyes or covering them up or ignoring them to the theological differences, to the doctrinal differences, to the incompatible practices. We who are Christians, we no longer sacrifice for the cleansing of sin. Jesus Christ is your sacrifice. You do not need to offer up the blood of bulls or goats or pigeons or, or, or doves. You have been cleansed one time and for all. Never again must you sacrifice. Because it's not your sacrifice, it's God's sacrifice on your behalf. But the Jewish Christians were participating, or the Jewish Nominal believers were still participating in temple worship, in the sacrifices of bulls and goats and sheep and doves and livestock, bringing their, their wave sacrifice and all those kind of things. And they were being painted with the blood and splashed with the blood. They were eating the, the um, Passover lamb in such a way as they were, they were no longer embracing the, the difference that Christ had made. They were remaining in the old. And so therefore, God is strongly urging them through the writing of this man, the communications of this man, to not go back, not to give up, not to start behaving like an unbeliever again. But to remain faithful to the Christ who died for them. Who gave his everlasting blood in a covenant for them. And so that's why there's an urging here. An appeal. A pressure being laid upon us. All of us. All of us. Because we all know that danger, don't we? We all know that dimming down of the light within us. We all know the temptation of wanting to fit in with the world around us and not to appear different or separate. We don't want people to think that we, we don't think that they're believers or that they, they somehow in some way are not walking with the Lord. That their practices are okay. I remember, if you remember, Don, when we had our first baptismal service way back, way, way back. Remember the ice the girls got baptized out and they had the, the big rubber pole. How many times did we try and fill that pole? And the more hot water we put in it, the more ice formed on the top. It was cold way back in 2000 and what was it, 9, 10, 10, the winter of 2010. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And it was cold. And I was, and when word got out that we were having an outdoor baptism in wintertime, um, the snow on the ground in a big rubber bath kind of thing outside in the car park of the place we were renting at the time. The Lutherans got in touch with us. The Lesterian got in touch with us and they, they demanded, they demanded that we not have it. Go have it in a building in Jakobstad, but don't, don't do it outside. Don't do it here with us. And I was called to a meeting and we gathered in the meeting and there was tremendous pressure being laid upon me. 
And we had a Baptist gentleman there who, who sat and said, no, 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 we Baptists, we have exactly the same view of baptism as you Lutherans. Uh, we, 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 there's no difference just in the method, but in the theology is completely the same. And I looked at the man and said, you're a liar. That's wrong. That's wrong. How can you say that? And he said, well, and he said, well I have it written down here on our, on our uh, Baptist Union statement of, of, not faith necessarily, but proclamation of belief. I said, but that's, that's not what the Bible says. But there was tremendous pressure to be able to just compromise. And if we had compromised and said, well, our baptism is no different than your baptism, it would have had a problem. But, but because we were saying that infant baptism does not save and it is not eligible for Christian practice, they were reacting to it. And there was tremendous pressure for us to, to compromise. And, and I remember that there, there's men in our congregation at that time who, who urged me to stand faithful and not to give up or to give in. There are times when we must be urged, when we must have that command to keep going and to remain faithful in the face of persecution, in the face of intimidation, in the face of oncoming compromise, when we're right on the border. Stand fast in your faith, the Bible says, or you will not stand at all. So here we're, we're being commanded, or they and us were, are being commanded to receive this letter of exhortation. That word of exhortation, you know I love that word. It's the word when you go to the gym and you're training with a buddy and uh, the, you're, you're, the bar is shaking. You don't think you've got any more in you. And they say, one more rep. Push. You ladies, when you were having babies or whatever, you've seen it on TV and the baby's coming out and you go, I can't push anymore. And the little woman next to you says, go, just breathe, push. And there's that exhortation. Keep going because the reward will be worth it. And you push, and baby's born. Sometimes you wish the yeah, And uh, it is that strong word. It's the, the, the idea of someone coming alongside of you and with great care for your, your well-being, pushing you on. So there are times when we need to be urged, and there are times when we must... Hear an exhortation. Now, urging and, and exhortation come from the same source. I urge you to respond. I urge you this exhortation. But there's also the third part of it. Receive this exhortation. See, I can urge you all day, night, and light, and long. Day, night, and long. Yes. Every moment of every day. Beloved, 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 you know what you must do. Stand fast. Stand fast. I urge you. This exhortation, I can lay out all the facts. Christ died for our sins. He's greater than the old way. Your life before was dangerous and detrimental. It was damaging to your soul. It will hurt you. It will hurt your family. If you neglect the Lord, the enemy will get in. The Bible says it's the little foxes that destroy the vines. It's not big sins, it's the little sins. Prayerlessness, Biblelessness, Christlessness. 
And so I can urge you and I can put out all the facts and show you from the scriptures why the dangers are there. But beloved, unless you receive it, it's all for naught. There must be a response in your soul. You must humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Don't remain proud. Don't remain culturally proud. Well, we're not like that here. In the north, we're not like that. We're, we're quiet, calm people. Quiet. We're sensible people. We don't... We don't show our emotions. We keep them all in. The Bible says that's stiff-necked and hard-headed. Hard-hearted. You cling to your culture over the culture of Christ? Who do you think you are? Humble yourselves. Bow the knee. Submit unto Him. Walk in His ways. And keep His requirements. Believe. And live in such a way as... Your faith is demonstrated in your life. The Bible warns us, does it not, of being a hearer of the word and not a doer of the word? You can be urged and you can be exhorted, but unless you receive it, beloved, it is just the banging of a cymbal, the, the banging of a gong and the clashing of a cymbal. means nothing. It's just noise in the air. Beloved, the writer, the Holy Spirit through the writer here has called upon us to respond. And what is he asking? Let me remind you of keeping Jesus Christ first in your life, first and foremost. First and foremost. Is Jesus Christ first and foremost in your life? Now, we who are married, we who are married, we are to keep our beloved other first and foremost in our life. I can't have another woman first and foremost in my life. Not my mother, not my sister, not some lady down the street, not some woman in the gym, not some woman who works in the shop, or whatever, whatever, whatever. My wife must be the first person in my love relationship in that sense. So it's very easy for me to have that understanding. But... For those who are single, far too often we place ourselves upon that throne. That we become our most important person in our life. That instead of having the Lord Jesus Christ as the most important person in our life, we sit upon that throne. We take up that place. What's important to me, what's useful for me, what's enjoyable for me, what's beneficial for me. Beloved, we are being reminded, we're being urged and exhorted to be those who hear the word and do the word. And the word is, keep Christ at the first in your life. He's the one who's the motivation. Remember, these people were in difficulties with their families, with their neighbors, with their communities and in their culture because they would not bow the knee to a tradition. They would not go back and begin to embrace the way of life that they had been living before they came to Christ. They didn't do it because there was a change in their culture. They didn't do it because they had a sign, some sort of promise. 
But because Jesus Christ was first and foremost, they saw the sacrifice. They realized and recognized that he was the lamb that bled and died for them. Personally, individually. Not just as a people, but he was their lamb. And because of that, there was a love bond. We love him because he first loved us. And they loved Christ. And that love was seen through their behavior. Because I love my wife, I do not behave in certain ways. Because I love my wife, I am faithful to her. Because I love my wife, all that I have is hers. In the same way, because I love Christ, He is first in my mind and in my heart. He is first in my family life. He comes above my wife and my kids, above my own self-safety. You know I love history. You know I love the martyrs of, of history because they're so challenging. I often think to myself, if I was to be put on trial and to with the danger of being burned at the stake like many of the people during the Reformation or being drowned, would I be faithful? If I was on the rack three weeks, we saw the rack, didn't we? We saw the torture implements that were used against believers in the Reformation being torn apart, chunks of flesh being ripped from you, being impaled on stakes, terrible implements of torture being... Could I stand and beloved in my flesh? I say, no, no, I could not. Oh, no. You just have to tickle me and I... Oh, stop, stop, stop. Okay, okay. There must come a moment when... when is it for my good? Or am I doing this because of what he has done? You know, there were, during the Reformation time, there were many believers who recanted their confession of faith in Christ or in the Protestant understanding of Christianity. And they embraced Roman Catholicism again just to avoid torture. And when they were released, they moved to a different place and then they recanted their recantation. And I think, you know, I'm not saying that that's the perfect way of doing it, but I understand that. I do understand that. If they're threatening my wife and my children, you know, many of the, the, the believers had their wives killed before they were killed. Had their children burned at the stake as well. Imprisoned. There comes at a cost. And the idea, how do we overcome that? How do we get through that? How do we stand during that difficult time? Christ must be first in our hearts. Think of John Bunyan, the writer of Pilgrim's Progress. He wrote that amazing book. It's unique. 17 years in prison. They said to him after a few years... You can go. Just promise that you'll never preach. He said, as soon as you let me outside this door, I'm going to preach. They left the door open and said, no, you can leave anytime you want. The door is open. And he said, I cannot because as soon as you let me out, I will preach. I cannot give you my word. And they said, well, we cannot let you go, but the door is open. But because Christ was first and foremost in his eyes and his heart, and the book of Hebrews is a reminder that we must keep Christ first and foremost in our heart. And then that, it breaks that down. That he is 
deserving of our worship and that we must be a worshipful people. He's urging us to be worshipful. Are you a worshipful person? Do you worship Him? It's a question, isn't it? It's a frightening answer when you think about it. Do you actually worship Him? Or do you appreciate Him? Oh, 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 oh. Is He the first and foremost in your heart? Is He the, the object of your worship? Is He the, the great sacrifice which you offer up to God? You recognize that God has made it on your behalf? Because He is the only acceptable sacrifice towards God on your behalf. Heaven is closed to you unless you come in Christ. You are expelled from heaven. You are expelled from the presence of God. Unless you come by the blood of Jesus Christ, you recognize and realize that He is the way, the truth, and the life. No man come unto the Father except by Him. And that would be great and terrible news. That would be terrible news, actually. If it wasn't for the fact that the Bible says that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that God has offered this sacrifice on your behalf, and that Every one of us has the opportunity and access to be able to call upon Christ and to recognize that He has made a way. To so, beloved, there is the receiving. Receive this message. Receive this exhortation. Don't let it just tickle your ears and pass by. But it must change how you live your life. There must come a difference as a result of what you've heard. It's not enough just to say, I agree completely with that message. I am on board with that. But you yourself, are you living in His ways, keeping His requirements? Is Jesus Christ the central figure of your faith? Are you a worshipful person? And throughout the book, certainly at the end, we saw the the. The exhibit, exhibitations, that's not what I meant. How we live out that worship. How we live out that faith. The demonstrations of it, the requirements. If we can't bring bulls and sheep and goats and things and have a bath full of blood. And we can't burn stuff and pour wine out. We can't worship by ritual. How do we worship Him? By what actions do we worship Him? Because it's easy to do ritual, isn't it? To go and light a candle. It's easy to go and do something. You know, in the, the Roman Catholic Church and perhaps in the Lutheran Church. I'm not quite sure, but I think it's the same. When they go to light a candle, it's their prayer being heard in heaven until the candle burns out. And then you have to pay a little bit more money in the Roman Catholic Church to get a new candle. And then your, your prayer is still being heard in heaven for as long as the, the candle is lit. That would be awesome. If we could do that, that would be great. You know, we'd have candles everywhere, wouldn't we? Now you understand when you go into a Roman Catholic Church why they have candles everywhere. Because it's supposedly the actual prayers of the saints being heard in heaven. Poppycock 
nonsense, can't use the words that come to my mind. Ridiculous. We must be a people who worship in spirit and in truth. Here and out here. And they must agree. Now again, beloved, I can urge you. I can exhort you. But you must receive it. You must do it. You must bow the knee in humility and recognize your failures recognize your own weakness lord i am right at the border of compromise i am right at the border of going the other way lord i need your strength uphold me christ who died for me and is keeping me help me in my weakness now he's not going to go down and give you superpowers but in your weakness as christ was able to overcome his persecutions, his tribulations, in his weakness. So, beloved, will the followers of Christ be able to stand and endure and overcome in theirs. And he goes on and says, For he has written to you briefly. I think this, this, this guy must have been in the Daniel Lundgren school of, of writing briefly. I was like, briefly? Has he not seen some of Paul's letters? Briefly? Beloved, we must understand that sometimes the Lord needs to speak to us and keep speaking to us until we hear it. Sometimes there comes a time when we must apply a little bit of effort in the receiving. It's not enough simply the, the two or three words. We live in a sound bite, a, a reels, a TikTok kind of generation. Don't we? I remember when people used to complain about TV advertisements. Way back in the day when TV advertisements were less than a minute long. Today I think they're like seven minutes long. I don't know. I don't watch TV but in that sense. but Ridiculously long advertisements. And I remember when people would say, oh, it will corrupt people's attentions. And now we have TikTok, which I'm not on and don't know anything about it. But I understand it's like little clips. And I see them on Instagram Reels or on YouTube clips and these things, things that my kids send me. And I send my kids, I, I admit to that. And it's like uh, the, the whole information of life has to be reduced down to like a 30 second or 230 second clip. Clip, clip. I mean, we scroll, don't we? Either up or across, I don't know which we do. And we move on to the next thing. And our attention levels are now tiny. We're like little goldfish indeed. I heard someone say, goldfish have greater uh, attention spans than the generation that we're living in today. A goldfish has like something like 27, 26 to 27 seconds of attention span where they focus really on something. They, they grab a hold of it in their mind and then they go, oh, and swim around the bowl again. Modern young people apparently have like 15 to 20 seconds. So somebody has done the, the research and said, Ridiculous, but that's because they've been trained to do so. It's not natural. It's been forced upon us. We have been conditioned like rats in some sort of experiment that we just take what's given and give up. But we must understand that if we are to grow spiritually, effort must be made. If I go to the gym, and I confess, rarely do, if I go to the gym and I sit at the machine and I lift the lightest weight for like three times, 
oh, that was hard. And then I go to the, the running machine and I, I set it at the lowest, the lowest setting and I, I walk for 30 seconds. And I go to the, the bench lift thingy, majigger, you know, the bench press. And I have two big men standing on either side holding the bar with their fingers. And I'm like, oh! And I lift it for three. Uh, am I going to see any increase? Am I going to receive any, any physical benefit from my great actions in the gym, having done everything for less than 30 seconds, less than three reps, with the assistance of really big men helping me? Of course not. We all know that's ludicrous. You end up looking like this. Beloved, there must be effort put in to becoming something physically better. You must watch your diet. You must exercise regularly. There must be effort made. They're exactly the same thing spiritually. If you're not putting in the reps spiritually, if you're not putting in the distance spiritually, if you're not walking in the, the, the means of grace, Prayer, Bible study, association with the, the, the saints. Prayer privately and corporately. Reading of spiritual and, and blessed material. Stuff that's stood the, t the test of time. Filling your mind full of scripture. Listening to the right kind of music. Now, I don't necessarily believe that all you have to do is listen to Christian music. But there is something beneficial when you listen to good Christian music. When you listen to spiritual Christian music. Not just hell song or, or some Jesus music stuff where they sing the same chorus 15 times. When we were in Romania just recently, we had great worship music. And worship, I would say. It was wonderful, except for the very last song of the entire thing. When some foolish semi-charismatic person who had been there asked, can we sing this song from these people? And it was a four-line chorus that we sang I don't know how many times. Give me Jesus. And we sang it for each other. I was like, I just stopped singing. I was like, this is nonsense. What does this mean? After the heights and the glories of good powerful reformed worship where we were exalting Christ and declaring his greatness and concentrating upon his work to all of a sudden we were like he's my boyfriend I love him and the gentleman who was leading the worship who was very capable kept saying amen every time he said something you go and amen and everybody would like sheep go amen I'm like dude don't do that oh there must be effort on your behalf. A change must be made. You must walk in his ways and keep his requirements. Nobody's expecting you to be Arnold Schwarzenegger from the very first time. No one's expecting you to be Charles Spurgeon, the spiritual giant. Nobody's expecting you to be Paul or Timothy or these. But there must be from your behalf on your side a receiving and a walking. And sometimes that means putting effort in. Reading books, listening to sermons, being disciplined in your day and daily life, spending a moment, only needs to be a moment, in the presence of the Lord. 
crying out, oh Lord, and using, Don once preached a really great sermon years ago, a series on the Lord's Prayer. I think way back, Don, was it like 2000 something? It was long ago, but it was great. I still have the marks of it in my Bible, and not in this one, but the other one. Where he took us through the, the elements of the Lord's Prayer and how they are vital for us in our daily life. It's a prayer for daily living. It's not a ritualized prayer. It's a, 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 a system by which we bring our, belief, our, our need for worship, our, our communion with God, our intercession for the world. All of those aspects joined together in the Lord's Prayer. And it takes like 15 seconds to, to, to read, you know, it's just bloop, bloop, bloop. And yet we, when we use it as a prayer platform, we are benefited. And it's the idea that we are able to use it in a disciplined manner daily. Give us this day our daily bread. Not give us tomorrow's bread, but today, now, here, this moment, Lord. For as, as long as today is called today, Lord, provide for me. And sadly, I have noticed that among we who have Reformed theology, we all understand that, there is a dulling down of personal prayer. We so believe in God's sovereignty that <laughs> I don't need to pray because God's got my back. He's watching over me. Nothing I can do can affect His plans because his, his plans are eternal. Really? Have you read your Bible? Have you read your Bible? The greatest example of our faith to ever live, his name was Jesus and he was a man of prayer. He would sneak out early in the morning and find a lonely place and pray and would not stop praying until the people he was with discovered him. And then he reluctantly got up out of his prayer and went and about the work of the Lord. And if our Lord Jesus, the greatest example of our faith, the greatest example of what it means to be a Christian, had to pray, how much more must you and I pray? Now, beloved, I'm not saying He's called you a life of prayer, of prayerful ministry. But in order that you might walk in His ways and keep His requirements, in order that you might be protected from the enemy, in order that you might not be perverted or by the culture in which we live in order that you might not be unfaithful to the one who loves you above all others you must spend time with that person that person being God through the Holy Spirit in prayer beloved there comes a time in our experience when we must apply the pressure when we must push the pedal and make the car go a little bit faster. We have to change up the gears. Let me urge you. Let me exhort you. Beloved, are you putting in the time? Or are you lazy? Are you indifferent? Don't you care anymore? You've done your part now. It's for others to do. Has the Lord come back yet? Did something happen that I don't know about? Has the Lord done with you? Are you a one-shot musket type thing? One shot and you've got no more use? For as long as it's called today, God has a plan and a purpose for your life. A plan to prosper you, not to hurt you. A plan to give you hope and a future. He's not done with you yet.
Why are you done with him? Beloved, there comes a time when you must receive the urging, you must receive the exhortation, and that might take effort on your behalf. It might begin with a repentance. It might begin with a repentance to heaven. Lord, I have sinned, and against you I have sinned alone. Lord, I am so sorry. My life is out of whack. I've compromised. I've gone back instead of forward. I've, I've turned it down. I've ignored you. I've neglected you. Lord, I haven't met you in the Word in however long. I I'm as good as an unbeliever, Lord. I'm Christless in my life. Then I go on. You might have to apologize to the people in your life. I'm sorry for not being the man that I'm supposed to be. I'm sorry for not being a part of what we're supposed to be doing. And then, acting on that repentance. I had a conversation with a lady this week. And we got into what it, what it really means to repent. Last, yeah, this week. This week. What, what does it really mean to repent? And in her mind, it meant to feel sorry. I regret. To say sorry. I am sorry for what I have done to you. And in her mind, that was enough. I am sorry. I recognize and realize that I hurt you. I apologize. And I, and I had to say, well, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says the repentance is to realize and to recognize, to repent of what you've done, to, to uh, confess it, to ask for forgiveness. But then it is to behave in such a pattern of your life that you now do the opposite of what you once did. So if you hated that person, now you love them. How do you love them? By acting according to their good. If you stole something, you recognize and realize and repent of it by giving it back, by paying compensation, by working hard to provide for yourself and to be able to give money away to help those who do not have. You told a lie, you tell the truth. And beloved, as we begin our, our effort, our discipline, our moving forward with the Lord, applying that effort to, to re-fix the damage done by potential compromise, getting in alignment with His will and His desire for us, we must repent. We must fix that which is broken. Not just by simply feeling bad about it, what does that mean? Nothing. Don't want you to feel bad. I want you to repent. Stop doing that what you're doing and do the opposite of it. The Bible says that he who does, he who knows what is wrong and does it sins. Sins. So let's stop doing what we know to be wrong. In a personal and it, and it also made me a change of mind. I like the word repentance because it means. In Swedish, on Mendelse, changing direction. Not just in our lives, but in our thinking. Because it's really here, isn't it? The problem oftentimes, it's here, then there, then here. What we think, we believe, what we believe, we do. And sometimes we've got to bend the knee in our minds, say, Christ loves me, has a great plan for my life, has a future hope for me. 
we're like, we're reformed people, Kyle. We don't believe that. Yeah, we do. We're Christians. Christ has a great plan for your life. I'm unashamed or unembarrassed to say that. He wants to prosper you and not to hurt you. He wants to give you a hope and a future. That's biblical. That's not charismatic, charismaniac, maniac. That's biblical. That's the desire that God has for you. The Bible says God so loved the world. Did he just love the world? So loved the world. And so sometimes we must get it out of our mind that we're an embarrassment to him. That we're the slow poke he's having to pull along. We're the, the, the second best. I talked with somebody this week about what it really means to be, to have false humility. You, we can be humble, but then there's the false humility. That where we just think bad about ourselves. Where we just are negative. We live in that yanti log type thing. That's not humility. That's not humility. That's self-abuse. Christ died for you to liberate you, to set you free. And there must come time, a time when you receive the urging, you receive the exhortation, and that takes a little bit of effort. A beginning. A single step on the journey of a thousand miles. The turning around. The beginning with repentance, inward and outward. And then it goes on in verse 23. I forgot to turn this on, and I don't know where I am in my message. I apologize. Uh, but give it another 10 minutes. Sorry. Uh, verse 23. Be aware that our brother Timothy has been released. See, mainly Timothy was in jail, or he was under confinement. Now, I like this because we know very little about Timothy. We, we knew Timothy is one of those guys, he's in there, he's a friend of Paul. We know him because of his association with Paul. We know his grandmother, we know his mother, we know him. We know that he was a half and half. We know that he was the pastor of the church of Ephesus. There are two letters written to him, but of his life we know very little. Only this, this, this little... Uh, Reference to. He was in jail, now he's out, or he's under confinement, now he's been released. And I think this is a great example of what a successful Christian worker, and I'm not saying a minister, or a pastor, or a deacon, or someone who's office in church, but certainly someone who is active on, in the work of Christ. A, a mature believer in church, as it were. How they should function. Here's a man who didn't build for himself a platform and insert himself as a, a footnote into the, into the workings. He got about the work and, and, and left the fame and the fortune to other people. He lived in Paul's shadow. And there's a great lesson there for us that we, we should be people who are more concerned about getting stuff done than being seen to do stuff. We should be people concerned whether we are in jail or not. And I like this because it's the idea that he's in jail. But as soon as he gets out, he's going to go straight back to doing what he was doing before. Beloved, there's a lesson here for you and I. For those of us who have ears to hear and eyes to see. That successful Christian workers are not the people at the front. 
They're not the necessarily the names that you hear on the internet or see or whatever you do, you know. They're not the big famous people. But in God's kingdom, they're the, the invisible ones. They're the ones who work hard and are never applauded. They're the ones who do what needs to be done without seeking the, the acclamation. Uh, Timothy was the, I want to call him the sidekick, the, 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 the successor of Paul. I mean, Paul, the guy who brought the gospel to Northern Europe or Western Northern Europe, the, 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 to Asia Minor. Paul is a legend. He gave us so much of the New Testament. He's a legend. And his follower, his, the one who follows after him, should he not be even greater? Should he not be like, okay, he was with Paul. Wow, wow, we're not worthy, we're not worthy. But yet, his life is a mystery to us, really. And I enjoy that. He must become greater and I must decrease. There's no need for the cult of personality. There's no need for recognition, recognition or a standing ovation. This man got about his work. And beloved, you and I need to be that kind of Christian. A Christian who's not concerned with world recognition. Not concerned about speaking at the biggest conferences or being associated with those. Now, I desire that this church should be the most influential in all of Finland. I desire to be the Ephesus of Finland, where from this church, God moves and sends out other churches. And we have a Bible college and everything else here. Oh, Lord, my ambition for the, the Lord's work in this place is great. But that's not because I want to build a platform for myself, where this handsome face is seen on you know, everything we do. God forbid, God forbid, it is Christ, His name, His kingdom, His glory. We are but slaves, servants, His disciples. And beloved, do you have that mindset? Whether you are a person at the front or a person in authority, do you seek to be an invisible working in the machine. Tell me this. What's more important? The hand on a clock or the cogs behind the face? The cogs, aren't they? Because when a cog breaks, the hands don't work. But if the hands break, the cogs keep on ticking. Do you remember the words of Spurgeon when that uh, reporter asked him the secret of success and he thought about it and he said, my people pray for me. Beloved, make it your ambition. You may never be seen. You may never be heard. You may never be recognized for what you do. Who cares? One day when you step into glory and you stand before your Lord and you hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. I saw what you did. I know what you did. I recognize. Here's your reward. That's what we live for. We live for the applaud of one man and one man alone. We live for the gratitude of one man and one man alone. The Lord Jesus Christ. Well done, good and faithful servant.
well done. <sighs> on that day, I will be able to relax. On that day, I will get, okay, Lord, thank you. Can I sit down now? Beloved, make it your ambition to be a Timothy Christian. To be one who is not necessarily ever seen or heard or recognized or remembered. Indeed, Timothy is the only believer who's actually mentioned by name in this epistle. And that's probably because he was in jail and has just been released. The authorities knew who he was. He goes on here and says, um, Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Doesn't name anybody. And then he says, And those from Italy, whether they were living in Italy or they were from Italy and with him at this present moment, wherever he was, we do not know. But it's the idea of being discreet. He doesn't name names or point people out just in case this letter falls into the hands of the wrong kind of people and they're like, well, we have your name. We know exactly who you are. We must exercise discernment in our ministries, in our life as Christians, but also the realization that, that uh, we have influence on other churches. What I read this week in the finishing of, of this was that this is believed that, that this is a pastor writing to a con another congregation, not necessarily his congregation, but another congregation or an itinerant worker writing to another congregation. And it's the realization that we are influential not just in our space, but in the spaces of others. And what we do and what we say and how we conduct ourselves has influence in other places. And our stand for the truth will influence the stand of others. And we know this to be true. Have we not seen the evidence of this? Have we not been the first through the door, the tip of the spear? And in our wake, the Lord has raised up others. And because of our faithful stand in the face of pressure and persecution, the temptation to compromise, the Lord has been able to raise up and encourage others. If those foreigners, some of us are foreigners, I know that many of you are not, have been able to do that in this land, should we not be able to? And the Lord has moved them to godly jealousy. Hallelujah, praise God, amen, I say. I don't care. If the Lord moves through them, may it be done. But it demonstrates to us the importance of our example. Of being the example. Here's a leader reaching out to other people. And in the end, he says, Greet, my greetings to your leaders, my greetings to all the saints. And those are easy things. To, but it's the, 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 the message behind that. Here's a foreign person, a person not belonging to the fellowship, encouraging, exhorting, urging a failing fellowship. And beloved, you and I in our Christian lives, whether it's other churches of same theological standing or our other brothers and sisters, say, of the Charismania or of the Bapticostals, whatever you want to call them these days, it's hard to know whether they be Lutheran, whatever flavor of denomination they want to be. We have a duty, we have a responsibility to be those who are reaching out, casting light, helping them. So beloved, whenever the Lord brings into our experience, say, semi-charismatic people, people who are on their journey out, 
They still have charismatic leanings. They're open to these things. Or Lutherans who know nothing and just, they're, they're so programmed about their ceremonies and their rituals and they don't, they don't know. People who are just living under a big giant question mark, let's not be heavy handed with them. Let's not cut them off immediately and say, well, you're not of us, we have nothing to do with you. Stop being so weak. Stop being so compromising. Be strong like us and then we can have something to do. Don't do that. Don't do that. Be the gentle hand of Jesus. Reach out in love and in compassion and help them. Think of the men in my life who have done that for me. Jeremy Walker, great influence. Conrad Mbewe, Paul Washer, Jeff and Hunter. Big Phil Johnson, and so many others. Tom Rucola, gosh, see if I hadn't been for the work of Tom Rucola, I don't know if I would have got through the first couple of years of church. All the stresses and strains and the pulling and the back and forth and stuff. Men who invested their time and their effort in my life. Patty and, and uh, I can't remember her husband's name. But that lady, they were like Priscilla and, and, uh, and Aquila when we went to the, 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 not the Shepherds Conference, the Strange Fire. And that lady in her mature Christian influence really benefited us, really benefited me. It was, she really helped put things in perspective just through, just by being a Christian woman and by just having Christian conversation. Older Christian lady, very powerful. We must be people who influence other people for the good. Not pushing people away. Not an island. Not a fortress with lots of spears. Thinking, Don't come too close. Come on to me. All you who are burdened and heavy laden. And I will give you rest. My wife has given me strange eyes. I have three minutes left, love. So sit there and be gracious. Beloved. We must remember who we are. And we must walk in his ways and keep his requirements. We cannot forget. We cannot be deceived by the workings of this world or by our own human nature that seeks to pull us away from Christ. We must receive the urging of the Spirit of God calling us to a, a greater experience with him. We must walk in his ways. And if it begins with a step of repentance, so be it. Beloved, he ends here with grace be to you all. That was the biblical way, the, the, the first century way of signing off the letters. Grace, charis. Grace be to us all. That's such a wonderful, lovely way. Let's all be gracious to one another. May God's benefit and blessing be upon you in a true and will way. And then just ends it there. And so as he ends it there, I will end it there too. Grace be to you all. Amen. Let's pray. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, we ask for grace. 
the grace, Lord, your unmerited kindness and favor to us, the blessing that enables us to walk in your ways and to keep your requirements, to be faithful in our lives. Please, Lord, show us that grace. Deposit it upon us that we might, Lord, make the, the step of repentance in our lives, not just the feeling of regret, oh Lord, of badness, of trying to beat ourselves and beat ourselves up, but Lord, rather that we would change our lives, small steps to begin with, baby steps to begin with, but Lord, that you would hold our hand, that you would keep us on the way, that you would not neglect us, nor leave us, nor abandon us, because we know that you are a good and faithful Father who watches over his family day in, day out. Father, please help us to be worshipful. Help us, Lord, to be committed to our Christ. Help us, Lord, to demonstrate these truths to the world around us, that you might receive glory, and that we might know you all the more. Lord, we pray this for your glory and your glory alone, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. 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 Amen.